about five years ago, we asked Charlie Munger, we were sitting right there when he thought of Bitcoin, and he said, rat poison. Uh, back then, it was about $100 plus dollars per Bitcoin. Today, it's 9000 Is it still rat poison? Well, probably rat poison squared. Yo, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Nick and Griff Show. Public service announcement, don't forget to remind your friends and family that one Bitcoin will always be one Bitcoin. Now let's dive in. Today is Saturday, October 15th, and we are excited to be here on another Saturday morning. Griff, how's your week been? Uh, and what do you think about Bitcoin here recently? Nick, week has been good. Um, we just, me and Nick just had a great interview with our recurring guest, Kyle Jackson, who is like our resident <clears throat> smart guy. I guess that's what we'll call him, our resident <laughs> smart guy. Uh, but that conversation got me fired up. My week was good. Uh, works a grind. Business is a grind. Business is not easy in times like this, but it is fun. Um, Bitcoin is doing well hit a new all-time high this week you know and that's what i'm going to keep paying attention to in this bear market it's like how long can the network continue to grow when you're talking about hash rate is that correct yes yeah and i mean like gotta love that but uh week was good man how was yours dude it was really good we uh we had some really good stuff going on in the business um got some good projects moving in the right direction got a lot of stuff in pre-construction so super excited about all that kind of stuff um, you did just mention hash rate. So for those of you guys that don't know what hash rate is, uh, hash rate is the amount of computational power that is being fed into the Bitcoin network. And so what that means is as the hash rate increases, that means that the network becomes stronger. So having a high hash rate is really good. Um, so, so that's what that means there for, for those of you guys that don't know what hash rate is. Also, uh, right now, today, it is 10.09 a.m. and uh, Central Standard Time, and the price of Bitcoin is $19,150.72. But Griff, you know what I'm excited about jumping into? It's Tweets of the Week. This has been kind of a fun one, I think, here recently, um, just because it's been kind of a fun way to interact with the Bitcoin network, right? Um, so let's pull up a couple of these tweets here. Um, one second here. Some of our top contenders, uh, we've got four of them this week, and I think that they're all really good and have really good topics kind of behind them here. So let's jump into this. First one here is from a guest we've had on the show, Mr. Dennis Porter uh, from the Satoshi Action Fund. His tweet here says, I just met a professor who uses the Bitcoin standard as a required textbook for their class. Griff, this is one that you and I have talked about a little bit. You and I took uh, our fair share of economic classes, uh, a few of them together. And uh, we've talked about on the podcast before that, dude, we didn't have any idea what money was. We didn't understand any of that stuff. We had no foundational information and knowledge about that. And I think that this is incredible. I think that, you know, economic students reading the Bitcoin standard is is an awesome thing to do. What money is, um, I can... I don't, con- I don't consider myself smart, but I would consider myself well-educated, at least, on a lot of economic topics. And don't get me wrong, economics, at this point, my, my, my opinion on what, what is economics, economics is everything. Economics is everything. So you can never stop learning more about it. Um, and so my th- theory is, yeah, Nick, like it was kind of BS that 
we never learned throughout our entire time getting an economics degree from a big four-year university, quality education, what is money? And when I got into Bitcoin, obviously, I like it was like, what is money? And that conversation, that like Twitter thread from Breedlove, just like understanding, I'm like, oh, like money is something that can change. Like it's subjective, I guess, in a sense. And that like unlocked a lot for me because economics, in, in a sense, is subjective. You know, we're, we're taught that like big government shouts what money is at us. That's what money is. That's not what money is. That's not how money works. And that's how it, and unfortunately it'd be nice actually, I think if that's how it would work, but unfortunately money has a mind of its own. So um, that's really cool because it is going to broaden the perspectives of young people and whether Bitcoin is right or not, like whether you believe in it or not, you should believe in the open education of just learning like, Hey, if you want to learn about it, here you go. And uh, it's good because economics is theory. There's no fact, it's theory. So Bitcoin is theory mm. and the Bitcoin standard should be required. I mean, what is money? So absolutely. Cool. Yeah, so I thought that was a fun one here. The Look next piece here, underneath that. You see that fool? Did you see yeah, that? I, I did see that. He says how to lose money 101. This guy, he has got this dude is Richard Hart is another character. He is something else. If you guys don't know who this guy is, uh, he's a creator of Hex. Uh, go look him up. He's quite the entertainment. Um, next piece here is another one from Bitcoin Archive. You know, it's tough because Bitcoin Archive really does. They, they post all kinds of, you know, headlines and topics and stuff. And I think that there's a lot of great information in, in, uh, in Bitcoin Archive. Um, so go check those guys out. But th- this tweet says breaking. You know, I think that the breaking piece is funny. That People were getting all over everybody for, for doing that stuff uh, a while back. But it, but it says, Google partners with Coinbase to accept cryptocurrency payments for cloud services. I think that this is huge. I mean, you know, let, let's assume that just a couple of these huge companies like Google, like Apple, uh, get on board with Bitcoin and uh, I, guess, I guess crypto, but Bitcoin uh, to start building out the infrastructure that is needed to be built out. Dude, I mean, how quick could this thing go up? Uh, not, not, not the, not the number go up, but the infrastructure go up. How, how quickly well, yeah. could we build out the infrastructure to make, uh, to make payments with Bitcoin, an everyday thing? I, I actually saw another one. I think it was from Bitcoin Archive as well that said um, Mastercard and Visa are partnering with somebody else or something to to try to make paying with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Uh, a, a regular everyday thing, um, and so, anyways, I, I think the the idea behind this is uh, is really really interesting. Now, who knows what Google and Coinbase got going together on the back end? I know Coinbase has got some weird legal stuff going on with uh, all of the illegal, um, let's call them uh, just bad schemes that they've been pushing on their platforms. They've got some weird legal stuff going on, but uh, I think just in general, larger companies pouring into the infrastructure of Bitcoin uh, can be really interesting. I don't know, man. I mean, at the end of the day, are you surprised or am I surprised that Google or Apple would try to dilute Bitcoin with cryptocurrency payments for cloud services? No, I think, I think that Google and Coinbase and all these guys are going to continue to try to just scrape money from people who really are believing in tokens, tokenomics. And I don't know. A yeah. bunch of garbage like that but uh it doesn't surprise me you are right about the infrastructure piece like that's what people do miss about bitcoin bitcoin could happen like that 
it could happen like that also on all of your visa transactions. You can go to the grocery store probably tomorrow and they'd be like, hmm, why don't we just why why don't we just make this a lightning service? <laughs> uh, we could charge whatever we want, charge the people less, probably still make more. Uh, who says no? So it doesn't surprise me that everybody's gonna do this. This is a yep. niche that cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, because crypto does work in this aspect where you can just make payments with it and it's faster and it's cheaper. I mean, crypto, you know, that isn't, that's why Bitcoin is bigger than just payments, guys. But um, yeah, I mean, if they do cryptocurrency payments, then we'll probably have a cheaper transaction fee, but you're not going to catch a lot of people, you know, paying in what, Ethereum? Like, then all of a sudden you have to get involved with the Ethereum network. So my challenge to Google is have fun with that. Have fun with the legality of that. Like, have fun with somebody paying in like Doge and then you lose it, like, you know, or like paying in Tether or paying in. What if they paid in, uh, what did that do, Quan? Terra, Terra Luna. What if they do Terra Luna because it's a stable coin? Um, so funny. I know everybody's learned their lesson, but that's my thought on it. Who cares, bro? I mean, at the end of the day, this is what we're talking about. People will get wrecked. And I mean, Google can get wrecked too. Uh, they're just a company. They have built something amazing, but the internet is more amazing than Google. You know, who cares? For sure. But yeah, that's my thought. Um, another top contender here for Tweet of the Week is one from Stack Hodler. It says, big news. Companies can value Bitcoin at its current market price in financial statements. Until now, if Bitcoin fell in price, it looked like a loss. And if it rose in price, they couldn't mark the value up unless they sold. Big for corporate adoption. And then it posts a Wall Street Journal article um, giving more detail and context to his statements here. This is actually a topic that we uh, that we do talk about with Kyle here. Uh, so stay tuned and we'll talk. We talk a little bit more about that uh, in the interview with Kyle. But man, this is this is a huge one. I mean, just for just for, you know, a, a lot of people have talked about just regulatory clarity, you know, because. Because Bitcoin and crypto uh, in general is is kind of the Wild West, there's been a lot of people that just don't really want to get involved because, A, they probably just haven't done the research themselves on what is what and who is who. Uh, but also, uh, from a legal and regulatory standpoint, there just hasn't been much clarity. And so I think that this is, you know, although not like some huge monumental thing, uh, I think it is a, a step in a really good direction. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I just think we were talking about this with Kyle too. Money is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is money. Money is a utility. Money is more of a utility than a lot of things. This helps Bitcoin become money. Bitcoin's not money yet, really, to a lot of people. But this really does help Bitcoin become uh, money on that corporate level, which is... Uh, yep. important and cool and accounting will be around forever guys i mean bitcoin is a distributed ledger technology for public accounting and all those kinds of things there will still be private accounting and corporate accounting and all different types accounting is very important keeping the records of these corporations is very very important um this just allows it so that accounting which is one of the biggest things in the world's history accounting is important as boring as it is in college it is one of the most important things that we that you can do this is cool it's cool. It's going to keep Bitcoin on the record books and it puts it in the, in my opinion, I think in yours as well, the correct light. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah, Thanks for corporate adoption. I agree. Stack Hodler. And uh, without further ado, the tweet of the week, with the number one rank here is 
again from Stack Hodler at Stack Hodler on Twitter. I love this idea. He says Russia invades Ukraine, China invades Taiwan, U.S. cuts them from the SWIFT system, all assets crater, rates negative, money printer full blast, EU wrecked by energy prices, 20% plus inflation, dollar system crumbles, hyperinflation occurs. Gold goes to $2,500 an ounce and Bitcoin to $10 million and beyond. So this is, he's kind of taking you through a string of, of potential events um, that, uh, that could ultimately lead to all of these things he's talking about. I love this. I mean, this is, this is a really good thought here, Griff. What do you think about it? I just think that he tweeted it in December 9th of 2021. And some of it, not just Russia invading Ukraine is starting to become true. And I also think it's interesting because I think that it's okay to start tweeting things like this, where it's like, hey, this is what I think is going to happen in the world. Um, you know, might as, might as well start pushing that narrative where it's like, this is what I think is going to happen. But I would argue, Nick, I mean, there are things on here where I'm just like, is this in, in perfect order? Is this in, this is all things that are just going to happen? I don't know. But I enjoy people's opinions. Yeah. I enjoy that basically since December 9th of 2021. Um, dude, yeah, I mean, he's pretty, um, Jack <laughs> Hodler has been, he's not off on too much. The China yeah. invades Taiwan thing is really, uh, I'm not sure it'll happen, but um, yeah. everything else I think can happen. I, the whole Taiwan and China thing is more to me like China doesn't, what's the why and like, it's also, if you've ever looked at Taiwan, that'd be a really hard place to attack for like no reason. You know, all yeah. they do is, all they do is give us batteries. Why are we, we don't want to, we, we don't, hey, do not, me- the world can agree. Okay, Stack Hodler, do not mess with the batteries. We all need them. <laughs> we don't want to mess with the batteries. Okay? <laughs> Whatever, you know. It is what so it is. then right below that, he responds to his tweet. He says, yeah. alternative. Right yeah. before dollar system crumbles, IMF, central banks, and uh, the new world order, uh, pull the plug, and we get our cyber pandemic and subsequent IMF digital currency only available for the boosted. He says, he says, uh, <clears throat> he puts a check mark here uh, on EU getting wrecked by energy prices, but the pain is just beginning. Inflation, inflation hitting hard in the U.S. too. Gas prices skyrocketing everywhere. Euro stocks in a free fall this week. And this is uh, the week of March 4th. Um, He says, Fed still has yet to raise rates. Gulp. Now we know that the Fed has has increased rates drastically. Another thing that we haven't talked about uh, that that I wanted to talk about a little bit, but we kind of ran out of time, was that here in the United States, the 30-year fixed rate mortgage has hit a 20-year high. um, And that rate is anywhere between, uh, I think it's like 6.7% and 7.05% is what I've seen based in different sources. So that's interesting now. He says, I'm buying Bitcoin, gold, supplies, and keeping some uh, CHF, which I'm not sure what CHF is. Um, He says, uh, further, he responds to himself, uh, uh, an hourglass. He says, 20% plus inflation. In quotes, it says, in April 2022, the selling prices of in wholesale trade rose by 23.8% compared to April in 2021. This was the highest annual rate of change since the beginning of the calculation of the wholesale price indices in 1962. 
and provides a, a link for an article on that. Uh, 20% inflation in the within the EU um, with another chart there. EU wrecked by energy prices well underway. Uh, quoting another tweet here. <clears throat> it's a, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting deal that he's got going here, um, and I really like the uh, really like the thread there. So, tweet of the week goes to at Stack Hodler here on his tweet. Uh, love it, and um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know if I've got any other thoughts here on that, but man, I thought that uh, the tweets of the week here were pretty good this week. Yeah, and uh, everybody should probably enjoy this interview that we have coming up here with Kyle. Um, just going to be a wall of different topics between money being a utility, uh, being how, how close are we to a CBDC, the Inflation Reduction Act talk, story of money, or is it a story of government going on? Like what is actually playing out in the world? Um, bad money, bad investment. And Kyle's one of those guys that just starts ripping off different factoids that everybody's going to love listening to. So stick around here for a few seconds and uh, we'll get right to the interview. Appreciate everybody listening. Today, we are excited to have the second appearance of one of my favorite people. I know it's one of Griff's favorite people. Super smart and sharp guy. He, uh, he's probably one of the better thinkers that I know. Um, what, probably top, top, top like three thinkers that I know for sure. Um, really excited to have him on the show again. And uh, I don't want to waste any more time because he's got a little bit of time constraint today. Uh, without further ado, Kyle, welcome back onto the show. How are you doing, man? Man, I'm doing great. Doing great. Enjoying life. Um, and there's a lot of stuff going on. So for a guy that loves kind of diving into politics and economics and uh, finance stuff, it's really, it's really exciting because there are a lot of things going on, but there are a lot of troubling things going on too. So it really makes... Uh, makes for fun conversation, and I love sharing information and you know informing people about things that they need to know about and how it's going to impact their lives moving forward. So, for sure. When when was the last time that we talked? When was our last interview? It was uh, was that May? I think I think that might have been May. Yeah, a couple months back at this point. It's amazing how much has happened since then, and how much hasn't happened since then. I guess also yes. at the same time, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it is interesting. Kyle's my favorite guest, just for clarity, because we have a lot more listeners than we did in May. Uh, because Kyle is an encyclopedia yes. of information for everybody listening. <laughs> and he might not have like a thousand Twitter followers, but that's pretty much just because he doesn't throw out all of his information onto Twitter. But he will put it onto this podcast. So that is true. Nick, it's funny. Kyle and I got a deal uh, going. So for, for those of you guys that don't know, Kyle and I do work together. Um, but w- when we're in the office, I, I mean, a couple of times a, a week, you know, I'll walk in, Kyle, what's going on in the world today? Anything good? Anything good, good going on? And we'll hang out, chat a little bit, you know, while we're working and doing our stuff. And man, it's always fun because, you know, Griff and I do this podcast every weekend and we get to hang out and chat and talk about this stuff. Um, and we're more like economics, finance minded and, and, and more so ingrained in that world. But Kyle gets into a lot of the politics and uh, the macro stuff that's going on in the world. And I think he brings a really fun perspective, but Kyle, let's get into some of these topics here that we've got prepared. One that you and I actually talked about this week is fair value accounting. So this week, the, the financial accounting standards board said that companies should use fair value accounting for measuring Bitcoin. 
Before this, companies had to report unrealized losses, unrealized losses, but could only report gains if they sold their holdings. Uh, fair value accounting now allows companies to report the value of their Bitcoin at the going market rate. And Kyle, you're an account, you're accounting guy. So I got to mm -hmm. get your take on this and, and what the impact of this really is. Well, that's what's been interesting. We've had this conversation that they have determined that uh, Bitcoin is an asset and it's an intangible asset. And regardless of um, how you want to parse that, the only way to determine the value of it is to have an economic value. And it has a value. It has a, uh, just like a stock, it has a going um, market value, but they've not been allowing you to use that to determine whether it's gain value or loss value. Uh, well, I guess they have allowed you to lose value in it, but they haven't allowed you to recognize gain, which is really in an asset is where a company gets its leverage to be able to uh, increase uh, flows of income, increase lending limits and all that. So what's interesting to me is that they've, uh, they've classified it in a way, but not let it operate by the same standards as other assets of the same class. And so that's, what's weird um, how they've been handling. Uh, it's, it's really a big unknown for a lot of these uh, regulatory agencies and they are lagging indicators on um, the treatment of it in the accounting side. And this really makes perfect sense because it is allowing its uh, value on the books to match the accounting processes that are in place for all of the other types of assets uh, in the same class. You know, one of the one of the tweets that we saw this week um, was about Google partnering with Coinbase to offer crypto uh, or to to accept crypto payments for cloud services. Um, in that example, or with this in mind and that example in mind, uh, do you think that this is really going to push more companies, uh, I guess, with the clarity to start holding Bitcoin and other cryptos? Because this this was not just Bitcoin. It was Bitcoin and crypto. Uh, but we're talking about Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the one and the only crypto. Mm -hmm. um, do you right. think that this is going to incentivize more people to hold Bitcoin as an asset on their balance sheet? Um, I think it's, I, I think it may be other factors, other more uh, politicized factors that may lead companies to decide that they want to hold Bitcoin. Um, this is, I think, them reacting to market forces and preparing for something else. Um, I think this is them trying to um, put themselves in a position to be one of the first places where you can transact with a CBDC. But it also, I mean, with the news this week about um, J.P. Morgan Chase and Bank of America just deciding that they're going to not uh, not Bank work with other people um, because of their political beliefs or because of the statements they've made um, or the PayPal incident where they uh, mistakenly released a policy saying that they were going to take money out of your uh, physical bank account because of something you said off platform or how you were acting. I think this is just a reaction to that to prepare to make sure they can um, transact with the most number of of um, customers as possible. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that <clears throat> Kanye West became Bitcoiners like guy there for a second. Mm -hmm. You know, just because I don't know he doesn't 
Kanye doesn't really seem to know, you know, any real workable solution to all of his creative ideas because he does have these like super creative ideas, but none of them are like actionable. And I would mostly say probably because of money, like he doesn't, he doesn't actually understand like how economics works probably for the most part. But he's got some good ideas. And he was, he, he was out there going like, Hey, listen, uh, they were shutting me up, and uh, I think this one way, and a bank literally was like, yeah, so, you know, those millions and millions, eventually billions that you're spending with us and we're using? Yeah, like, we're just not going to do that anymore. Kick it on down the road. Okay. Yeah. If that's not a good promotion for Bitcoin, then I don't know what is, you know? And that's, yeah. uh, I don't know. Is, Kyle, I love the uh, I love the air quotes that you use there for the uh, for the um, uh, PayPal release where they mistakenly released something. And you also mentioned CBDCs earlier and how uh, I, I think that there's been some speculation from some people of could this have been uh, a an organized deal to see what would the reaction of the people be? The trial balloon of see how we would react to uh, potentially not having control over our own money. <laughs> yeah. Not good, right? No, not very good. Um, and, well, another one of these topics here that we wanted to talk about is CBDCs. Um, you know, there's been a lot more talk about CBDCs and they're continually um, doing more research, bringing more information to the table on what a U.S. US CBDC could potentially be. Um, And and they're talking about all different types of designs and this and that. Um, But interestingly enough, Jerome Powell came out and and made some statements that it's pretty wild to see. And I don't know if you've seen this or not, but um, so Jerome Powell came out and said that a a U.S. CBDC at a minimum would be intermediated and identity verified. Um, I think that the identity verified piece um, is is one thing, but the intermediated piece, I think, is is really scary because then in order for me and Griff to transact with each other, then who is going to make sure and approve, I guess, would be the big piece, approve that transaction to happen. What is your thought on CBDCs? Um, I don't think it's a workable solution. Um, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people that want to go to that, but all of those people are have the same intention that PayPal has. Um, it's um, an ESG, a social credit score, to only allow you to spend money when they want you to be able to spend money. Um, think of it like water as a utility, even though it's a utility when there's a water crisis in California – um, there are cer- certain times well, you can only water your yard every other day if you're an odd number. Like they're going to do the, a similar thing because think about the same same issue with the CBDC is. Let's say we have a food crisis. Let's say we have some issue where we where a war starts and now there's limited resources, but we still need to operate as a civil society on a CBDC. They could tell you when you can go to the when you can make certain transactions or when you can't. So they can determine as an intermediary when you can spend money, where you can spend money, if you can spend money. And there's not really any control, any personal freedom that you have associated with that. That's what's interesting, in my opinion, about the idea about uh, banks. Um, 
they're federally regulated. Um, the FDIC, uh, Federal Deposit Insurance Commission, was set up um, to guarantee your uh, funds from a bank crash. But they're not considered utilities. And my opinion would be that it's more of a utility than your actual utilities because you can't pay for your utilities without having money. And it's a yep. global uh, global and national uh intermediated scenario for CBDCs takes away your independent freedom to go find a new banker if you don't like the one you have. And so I think if you establish a CBDC and you try to push everybody to it, you're basically going to destroy the banking industry altogether because you're not going to need, they're not going to need the physical locations. So you're, it, I don't see it being positive. I don't see it being where, <laughs> It'd be economically friendly to the com- to the country, uh, but it would allow the government to control more of your day to day activity and may have a more of a control over what you can do, how you can do it. If they don't like a biz- a certain type of business, they could drive them out pretty easily uh, because if they don't like gun manufacturers, for example, can't pur- can't purchase a gun, can't purchase ammo. It, the same thing where um, uh, Visa. Uh, said that they were agreeing and creating a classification code where if you made a purchase of a firearm or of ammunition, that they were documenting that as a specialized code and they were willing to provide it to um, regulatory agencies. Uh, Same kind of thing is going to happen with CBDC, but the federal government will have all of your transaction history all the time because it will have to go through the Fed. Oh, God, that's so terrifying. Money is a utility. I mean, I've always thought <clears throat> that's how the whole Bitcoin thing is going to play out. Mm-hmm. They're going to realize, like, telecommunications, like, it is a utility. Like, it, you, you're going to tax, you know, you're going to tax something as simple as every, you're going to tax every phone call. Like, are they going to start taking collections again for every single time that you want to place a call across the country? Like, that doesn't make all that much sense in the old digital age. But, um yeah. I don't know with CBDCs, like there is in my in my opinion, I guess to be the devil's advocate in this conversation, not that I'm rooting for them. I mean, there's a workable solution for them to do it. It's just that I don't understand how the regular consumer doesn't off the rip think the first five things Kyle just said. Because those are the first five things that I think about. I mean, without without knowing anything, those would be the first five things I go and I'm like, um, you mean like they can turn it off and on? Uh, like, yeah. I yeah. like, you're like, I don't know about that, man. If you're just like, cash even sounds better than that, you know? Like, even they hyperinflate it, like, at least you can go get more. Yeah, yes. Like, at least they yeah. can't tell you yes and no. That's like the worst form of money humans can create. I mean, think about all the negative effects that that could possibly have on society just from like a creativity standpoint. Because they don't, that's what governments don't understand, like, <clears throat> in my opinion. They don't understand creativity. That's why the regulation can never really keep up with corporations or like what's going on. They're like the world's too creative for regulators. That's why they're regulators. Yeah. That's why they're the people who like run for Kyle. I don't know if you ran for any school competitions, but yeah. people keep saying that if you were like a president or vice president in middle school or high school or even potentially like elementary school, like you're part of the problem. 
you're like part of the regulators, you know. Like, if, like, like if you're one of those guys, like you for sure, like you know, like we're all kind of looking at you now. Like you, somebody's like, power hungry. Yeah, like we're like <laughs> over what? So like you want to put the vending machines up? All right, like, you know, you're like pretty cool. But I don't know what your guys' take on that is, but uh, part of part of the whole money thing and like everything, the way this country plays out and the way Bitcoin plays out will be who gets like voted in. I think, I don't know what your guys' stance is on that. Not necessarily what the party is that gets voted in. Just the fact that our democracy is going to affect like literally our lives, like going forward, because the decisions that they're making with all these presidential executive orders, things are happening faster. So it's like, shittier things can happen quicker now <laughs> we're just like oh, awesome like we're just like okay great i don't know what you yeah. guys feel about i think i think all that ties into um the decline of our constitutional republic mm. um we have a set of we have a, a safeguards that should be keeping these things from really occurring um providing us you know, our constitutional rights through due process. And that's where, that's where the things get really sketchy in my opinion. Like um, we talked, I think last time we had talked about the, the people that um, they accused of having stolen the money from the exchange, stolen the Bitcoin from the exchange, and then they confiscated it uh, because their seed codes were on Dropbox. I still have questions as to how they actually got there uh, because the process of how it should happen for them to track that. Uh, but there was no due process for them before they took that money. Um, civil asset forfeiture laws, uh, even in banking, if you have right around $10,000, if you're right on that threshold and they create these suspicious activity reports, or if you're just over $10,000 where you're depositing in cash, well, they submit a report to the IRS and the IRS then gets to determine whether or not they believe it's illegal activity or if you're doing things to skirt federal uh, federal reporting standards. And then they just come seize all of your money and then you have to prove, prove that it's not illegal. And it's going to take you years to do that. And then they huh. still may not give you the stuff or money back. Kyle, my question to you really is then after listening to you talk about CBDCs, you have a very good understanding of the accounting, very good understanding of the banking and the money and the laws. <clears throat> How much different is money right now than from a CBDC? Really? I mean, like, it seems like they already have pretty often on control. Seems like you can get big enough to kind of fuck with them or, you know, as Andrew Tate, you know, everybody's like superstar of the month or the, the week was like saying for a little while, he's like, you know, being like wealthy and like having a bunch of money is not like the only goal. He's like being able to go from country to country and being borderless. That's pretty, that's more fuck you money than, you know, yeah. actually having like a ton of money. He's like being able to actually get around and nobody being able to ask questions. That's, that's really what we're going for nowadays because government has so much control. And so like when we talk about CBDCs, sometimes I'm like, okay, but we're already there. Like, I it's, mean, a, like, it's a next it's yeah. the next step in that progression well right. going to going from I can remember in the early 90s where um, credit cards were not accepted like uh, I remember specifically um, the um, advertisements that Jerry Seinfeld was on promoting 
the ability to use a credit card at the gas pump. Mm. And both of you probably don't ever remember that a time when that wasn't a, that wasn't a thing. Pay at the pay at the pump didn't actually happen until the late nineties, early two thousands. So we progressed from a society where checks were very prominent. um, Cash was still king at the time. And we started using debit cards and credit cards. And there was a fee associated with it like every time. Um, But realistically, I think the thing that is different currently than, than um, what CBDC would take us to is there is still the opportunity to use kind of checks. It is slower. um, It's less efficient, but you can still operate in most circumstances in um, localities on a cash basis. Um, It's getting harder. They try it. It is getting much harder. People don't really care for cash Mm -hmm. anymore. I don't know why that is though. Because when I think um, about it, like what, like how much money, how much does it cost them to take this cash and go to the bank and have them count it in the ladder? How much do they lose in counterfeit? How much money? You know, I don't know what the percentage is, but why would they not take cash? I change. would take cash. Come give me your cash. It's still the, it's still the most hidden, right? Like it's still the most anonymous. Correct. Form of money. The reason they they reason they don't like taking it is coins. It costs um, us more money. It costs us more money to make the coins than the coins are worth. And if you remember during COVID, they uh, through the stimulus, certain um, things started not taking cash because they could not guarantee that they would have the change. So, in my opinion, it actually occurred this big push to get away from cash actually happened at the same time at like a significant jump to where it would encourage CBDCs was the jump when we were uh, in COVID and they pumped a whole bunch of money into the market, but there wasn't actual physical cash or change to be able to give you change if you used it as cash instead of as a digital asset. And so that you gotta was, wonder that, if that was orchestrated, right? That that well, that progression because they the you know they only you can only use up to a twenty dollar bill because we don't have change for a hundred. Um, typically at like grocery stores or at um, convenience stores, I saw a bunch of those where they were just like, "Hey, either have exact change or use your card," and um, that was a big push away from where they could get their customer base used to using their credit card instead of using cash. And people just got used to it over the, you know, year and a half, two years since then. And now we're just staring down, down a barrel of trucking down to the next, next piece where we don't even really have control over the money that's in our bank account because somebody can just Hmm. say, Oh yeah, you have that money. You just can't spend it. So, well, switching switching gears here, something else that I think is really interesting right now, kind of zooming out and looking more at the macro global environment, it's dollar milkshake theory. Kyle, we've talked a little bit about this. Griff, we've talked about this before on the show. Um, this is the theory that all currencies are failing 
or are, are falling. They are failing. They're all falling and failing in strength, relative strength, right? But that the dollar is falling at the slowest rate. Because of this, people who are currently storing wealth in currencies or assets denominated in currencies other than the dollar are fleeing to the dollar. This causes a phenomenon where the dollar increases in relative strength and everything else decreases in relative strength as self-motivated actors. That's a huge piece as self-motivated actors uh, seek to save their wealth. So. This is a this is an interesting one right now, and you're seeing it all over the place, right? The Cantillon effect also plays into this, where the further you are away from the money printer, the more impacted you are by inflation. And so these mm-hmm. other, you know, we we know that the dollar is the world reserve currency, so world reserve, uh, it's the world reserve base money, uh, mm-hmm. and all these other currencies are pegged to the dollar, and so all these other currencies falling, people that own those currencies and own assets denominated in those currencies are fleeing to the dollar with their capital in, in, in hopes to save their wealth, which is now creating this artificial strength of the dollar. All while the, the, uh, the fed is trying to curb inflation by increasing interest rates. I mean, you you got all kinds of wild stuff happening right now. I think, uh, you know, we saw the, the wild stuff a couple of weeks back with uh, the Great British Pound and how that tanked mm-hmm. super hard. And now they've they've like they've really tightened up. And I guess there's been some some concern with some of the, the larger. I don't know if it's banks or corporations or whatever it is over there, but they're like, hey, we need some help. And they're like, no, you're not getting help. And it's like, uh, what are you guys doing? Is this a are you guys acting like this is a free market or something? Like you're not going to bail them out, you know? Uh, but what what is your thought on dollar milkshake theory with the relative strength of these other currencies around the world? Um, I think they see us as the great consumer, and we've been propping up a lot of we've been propping up our spending has been propping up, and our domestic spending uh, specifically has been propping up a lot of different economies around the world. And I think what's interesting is that um, it's a time game right now. And because we have the most um, uh, consolidation of resources uh, in currency um, than other countries, uh, we appear to be the stronger uh, economy, even though everybody else is sliding, we're sliding at a slower rate. Um, But I think if we don't, actively change our uh, fiscal policies and our production policies uh, with manufacturing, with production of energy, with, if we don't actively change those things, then we're headed for the same, same fate as everybody else, but we're losing leverage and you'll see other countries, uh, which I think OPEC, OPEC plus just did is that they don't, they, uh, as the energy producers, don't have the same faith in our system as these other people that are bringing money here on the economic side. Um, Cause they don't see the leverage that we have in that manner. Mm. And if we don't put ourselves in a position to have leverage over those, over those areas, um, then we're, we are going to be the last man standing, but it's not going to be long before we fall with them. Um, if there's not some kind of uh, adjustment in how we, um, manufacture how we produce goods services and uh, energy to support um, that development it, it's getting really interesting too because 
you know, in history, the United States has a history of really just telling people to piss off. Like, things get really shitty. What does America do? Uh, piss off. Like, you want to fight? Like, we're, we'll fight you. Like, I mean, like, it's all we got. We're like, we don't really actually have the money. You oh, know, an it's excuse not, to print more money? Sweet. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, it's not really the first time America's done this in the world stage where it's like, yeah, we don't really have the money, guys. Like, I don't know. The fuck, I don't know. I don't know where you where you thought we were getting those trillions from, <laughs> like, but we don't got them. Like somebody else has them. Like, I don't know. That's kind of what it's, it feels like some of these governments are about to do to each other. Like that's going to have to happen or like, or there are literally going to be the dollar milkshake theory is not a theory. That's what's going to happen. There's going to, somebody's going to fall over in Europe. Then Japan's going to fall. Like once Japan yeah. falls, that's when, that's when you need to go start buying like everything at, you know, Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> they buy all of our treasuries. They keep up this game. And so, like, they have as much power as we do, even though we're stronger. If they decide to tank it or, like, stop buying or stop playing the game, like, we're going to have, a, like, a legitimate issue. But I just think it's funny because why don't any of the other countries do what America did back in, like, the 70s and go, ah, yeah, we don't have, we, we don't have the money. Um, so you're just going to buy up to forget about that and uh, take some of these dollars. How about you take some of the paper money? You don't have the gold, but you can have the paper money instead. And people really took it. <laughs> like, we were just like, all right, right. Like, sounds good. Thank you. Well, I think like, it's the, the, the development and implementation, really the implementation and furtherance of modern monetary theory really pushed forward in that time frame. And you're looking at um, you know, this World Economic Forum was really developed after World the War II, and they were really, too, right? Yeah, they were really getting, really getting their teeth sunk in, and and really making changes as to what their what their ideas were and how they were were pushing forward on the world stage. Um, this change in how economics really worked and what what the ideas were there. So, yeah, it's. Uh... It's just, it's such an interesting game because at the end of the day, this money, like we talk about Bitcoin being real money because it is real money. It's tied to energy. So it is money and money is different from debt. You know, this is the thing that gets talked about now a lot on Twitter as well. And I really, really like it because it's true. Debt, you need, but debt needs to be backed by something. Debt needs to be backed by government. Debt, debt needs to be backed by gold. Debt can be backed by Bitcoin. Debt can, has to be backed by something. Bitcoin is money because it is an energy currency. It's not this digital, like, it is this digital cryptographic, you know, maze. And it's like, what the hell is going on here? But, like, it is also just money. Like, it is an actual energy currency. There is something that backs it. Um, I don't know what governments or everybody's take is on that. But that's one of my favorite parts of it as an investor. I'm just like, well, it is money. Like, it is, like... People are mining this, so people have a huge vested interest in this network. It is money. So, yeah, it, it doesn't operate without feeding the network energy, which is a huge component to it that ties it to the real world. You know, a lot of people right. are like, oh, it's not real. It's not real. It's like, well, it is, though. I mean, there's a real world cost to creating and maintaining this network, and that's extremely powerful. And, you know, well, I think... Buy it or contribute to the network. Well, and I think I think you're looking at mon modern monetary theory. Think of it as a uh, buying on margin. <laughs> yeah. The fractional reserve banking is is literally the same idea of buying money with a stock 
uh, are buying a house with a stock that has a valuation. And when its valuation goes down, now you're left holding the bag for the margin and you have to figure out how to do that or you have to implode basically. And I think that's the point where we're kind of at with our economies is we've been doing this fractional reserve banking and we're doing all these things where um, we're not basing things on tangible assets where crypto or Bitcoin specifically has a tangible thing that it's tied to that Mm -hmm. drives its value. Right. Energy production is, I mean, it's a big, it's a big thing. And it's something like you were alluding to earlier. It's like, you know, the only thing about the dollar milkshake theory, and even as a Bitcoiner, it's like, here, here's the thing. America could turn this thing around. Like that's the weird, like that's been like the weirdest part for me over the last, uh, since I've gotten into Bitcoin, since I've gotten into Bitcoin, the weirdest thing for me is I'm like, you know, I don't know if we're technically at year 100 in this whole world reserve currency, because they could still turn it around um, and they can turn it around basically by just producing more as a country. And we can sit here and say the Fed and the, and the United States government aren't playing in tandem, but they are. So they can get in their little boardroom and they can just go, hey, listen, you know, Joe, um, we're screwed. But <laughs> if you let Alaska like get all this oil, like for real, Joe, like just let them get all the oil probably can get ourselves out of this one like you know kind of decently if we just if we start moving all this production back here joe probably can well, make this whole highly inflationary environment work probably can get another 50 years out of it but um alaska my- alaska in my opinion is not uh, yes they have oil there hmm. um but we have mass taps of oil all over the country that are not being um, all over the place used right but alaska has a whole lot of other resources that we're not developing. Um, I believe there's a lithium deposit, uh, massive copper deposits, massive gold deposits that are like feet, not like hundreds of feet, like feet below the surface. Yeah. That the federal government has continued to say, no, they've gone through all the, all the regulatory, all the regulatory uh, red tape. They've done all the application process. A bunch of different companies have tried to do this, and they just keep telling them no. And uh, there's a big push from a bunch of different people uh, online that is like, "Hey, we should invade Alaska. Let's just invade Alaska. The U.S. should just invade Alaska. So then maybe we take all the natural resources that we already have." <laughs> <laughs> well, some, something that's interesting here that we've talked about is inflation. Uh, and Griff, you just mentioned um, how the Fed and the the federal government play together uh, with their game to an, to to maintain their power and control over the existing system. Uh, I, I'm wanting to talk about uh, something that we all know as the Inflation Reduction Act. This year, the Biden administration passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which was marketed as an attempt to help curb inflation. Ironically, this policy created more money and in turn only makes inflation worse. Uh, I I think that there was some talk that they even actually renamed this Inflation Reduction Act after it was passed to something else. I, I, I didn't really look too hard, so I couldn't find anything on it. But dude, I think that the Inflation Reduction Act is hilarious because it's deficit spending 
which is uh, creating more money. And Kyle, I know that we've talked a little bit about um, this budget reconciliation idea, but I'm not super familiar with it. Um, could you maybe take us through that idea and and maybe talk a little bit about the Inflation Reduction Act? So typically the way that our federal government is structured um, is that in the Senate specifically, um, if you don't have 60 votes for a bill, uh, which makes it filibuster proof, which means that you can't have somebody stand up and kill the bill basically by just talking for a long time to run out the time to keep you from being able to vote on it. Because there's a time frame from the time where it's introduced on the House floor to the time of when it has to be voted on or it just goes back to committee. Um, so to get around that, they created this um, process called the Budget Reconciliation Act. And a Budget Reconciliation Act means that they're not creating new spending or creating a new bill. They're reallocating funds or reconciling the books. And that only requires a one-person majority. So if you have a 50-50 split in ide along ideological lines, which the current Senate has, it means that the vice president, who is the president of the Senate, gets to make that determining vote. And the um, Inflation Reduction Act had a 50-50 vote. And on the budget re reconciliation, Kamala Harris made the deciding vote to make it 51-50 for that uh, bill to pass. And so realistically, it should only be reallocating of existing funds, but that's not how in practice it has worked. Um because this definitely creates new spending that was not in the budget previously. Um, and they have a limit of like five times per year that they can use budget reconciliation to pass um, legislation um, each term, um, according to the sergeant at arms uh, for the Senate, um, whether or not they actually adhere to that policy, who knows? Um, just because I don't like, know how, really I don't know how you would do. monitor that. So. Sorry, does it feel like to you that it's all great and everything, right? The Inflation Reduction Act and all these things they want to do or not want to do or whatever. Money, money, like you said earlier, is like money is more of a utility. Money is more of like, you know, something that is like it is should be something somebody can own, right? Like money is something Correct. you should be able to own more Correct. than even water is. Like that's what we said earlier, which... I agree with, you know, clean water takes a process, you know what I'm saying? And it takes money to clean water. So money, you should have all the rights to money though. Um, I guess what I'm saying is like, what plays a bigger factor in the next two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, I don't care. Any time frame, short, medium, long term. what's playing a bigger factor? Our government's decisions are just the story of money right now in our lifetime. Like what in, right now because obviously most of the time money in history is not the determining factor of somebody's life you know because a world reserve currency lasts longer than probably most people yeah so most of the time no but do you think that like we're living in a time where the story of money is more important than the story of government um, i think that i think the two are inextricably linked in our country and i think that um the policies and decisions that our government is making currently 
um, appear to be deliberate, and, and there's no way that you could reach uh, short of short of a massive um, collapse. We could not see the same results as we see currently without the decisions being deliberate and the actions being taken as deliberate to um, create the inflation that we're seeing, to create the degradation of the money that we're seeing. Um, So I think the decisions of our government um, are creating the story of money currently. Currently. But there is a money that's kind of changing that narrative or potentially could change that. Yes. Yes. Even in a, a, you know, that's why Bitcoin's awesome because even in a, you know, desolate, everything goes to shit world, it's an energy currency and people need energy. People mine energy. The network works. Mm -hmm. Things work. I guess the only question there would be, what would be the biggest question there in a less, you know, United States government world right now, Kyle? Like, is it, uh, do we have the servers necessary internet wise to keep Bitcoin going? Like, is there internet outside of uh, government utility? Big, is it big enough right now? Or is that something that also needs to be developed as well outside of government? Uh, well, I, well, I think Starlink is doing that. It's um, doing a pretty, I mean, yeah, that, I was going to say that it, that part is that- very think a, a a development like starlink creates a the ability for a decentralized system and if he makes it more of a network and allows other people to develop uh to pay for rights on it like you would the cellular network it allows you to be more decentralized and allows you to have access to it without um government interference um so and shady I, are we going to are we about to get into minute 41 and it's going to be yeah, elon musk is shady as hell or what i it? i definitely think elon musk is shady as hell because uh, there's a lot of yeah no go ahead i want to hear what you think there's a lot of great things that he's doing but there's always an element where uh like uh tesla he can just shut it off what about just shut it off every uh spacex no, 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 not even. I mean, that's awesome too. But he was talking about, you know, you're talking about your network with Starlink. He's talk, he's alluded to the fact that he would like to build a network via Starlink called X, the everything media. Like it's the everything. And I'm like, you know, that's that part of it is cool, but it's also a little bit more intimidating for somebody like me because it's like he's smart enough to understand Bitcoin and try to compete against it. Because mm-hmm. that, I said this on the podcast like 20 episodes ago, and this is a narrative that I think is as strong as some others. Is Elon jealous of Bitcoin? Like, it, w- does he like Bitcoin or is he upset that Bitcoin could potentially be more important to the world than him? And I kind of feel like he's a narcissistic asshole. And <laughs> I, like, I like Elon. I mean, like you said, he's doing some incredible stuff, but he is, I mean, he is full of himself. He does think that he's mm-hmm. like, the greatest gift he does think that he should be putting his hand in every cookie jar he does think that he has what it takes and like hey who's to really argue with the guy at this point he's doing a lot of cool stuff but look at history i mean like guys like him build stuff and then create centralized programs and platforms and boom there goes your sovereignty i mean there goes your well, data there goes all the money so i don't know uh, what do you think? well look at uh uh is it albert nobel um what is uh do you know what he's famous for or what's he most famous for 
nope. uh, most people current mo- most people now would say um, the Nobel Peace Prize. That's he oh, wow. funded that and created the the Nobel Trust. Um, but the guy actually was the reason he created the Nobel Peace Prize was because somebody mistakenly published his um, obituary while he was still alive. And they called him the merchant of death because he created TNT or dynamite to use for mining. And all of a sudden it became used for explosives in war. And so uh, I think everything that we have created, um, there's always actors and things in that want to determine if it can be used to, subjugate someone else and i think that's an interesting aspect of human history is that there's never been a time when people have not been attempting to subjugate someone else or conquer someone else um, until more recent history and now it's not really lands it's your economic freedom it's your um ability to create it's your ability to um survive in in a world that's decentralized um, is the thing that appears to be under attack um, to be able to take away from you to be able to conquer from you Um, individual sovereignty is something that um, individual sovereignty and freedom is something that's been very uh, problematic for um, central planners and controllers throughout history Um, Mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons that um in socialist and marxist or or communist uh governments and creations that it's one of the first things to go um is because they can't they can't have you thinking freely they can't have you acting freely they can't have you independent of of their control and their their uh input so this so so for so for elon musk i think he does does great things, but he has uh, influences around him. And I think there's a definite, definite um, ability for him to be manipulated into putting himself in a position to think that he's more important than everybody else. Yeah. It's hard to believe anybody is this altruistic. I'm just building technology for the world person would love to believe it, but guess what? Tony Stark is the best iteration of that (laughs) in world history. And even he was a little, you know, he was kind of of an asshole, kind of kept it to himself. Kind of, (laughs) Kind of screwed a lot of shit up, and then he gave his life for everything. But he only gave his life for everything after he screwed everything up. So, yeah. and I think I think that goes into um, I think there's a law of unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, you do something that's altruistic. You do something that is that is um, good in your eyes or uh, fixes the situation in front of you, but you don't know what situation it causes in the future or what situation it makes uh, degrades or or uh, takes away from that you don't see or that's not right in front of you. That's one of the things about not being omnipotent, not being all knowing Um, we're human. And unfortunately we're in a scenario, we're always going to be in a scenario where decisions are complicated and they have unintended consequences that we, because of the definition of it, we can't see everything that's going to impact. Um, And time may be the only thing that indicates um, how that's going to play out and how that's going to going to make the the difference. So, speaking of unintended consequences, last piece here, Kyle, because I know you got to head out here soon. Um, I want to talk just real quick about bad money creating bad investment um, and people misallocating 
uh, capital due to the money being bad and creating distortions in the market. So I got to read you here a little excerpt from a book titled Bitcoin and Exponential Freedom uh, by J.S. I think it's Leary. Uh, but here it, it says gold leaks energy at a rate of approximately 2% per year, meaning that after approximately 35 years of owning gold, you will have lost your uh, half of your economic energy. Then 35 years after you will have lost another half of your economic energy. It says, as humanity progresses, you will get the benefit of this progress built into the monetary energy of your money. Uh, you will find after 35 years, you have slightly increased your purchasing power due to not the money appreciating in value, but due to the technological advancements that have occurred that have made things more efficient. However, you will not have an equal time and energy expenditure level of purchasing power. So what he's saying here is, yeah, you may be able to maintain your purchasing power uh, over time due to uh, new efficiencies found in technological advancements, but you won't have the same amount of buying power as if you were to go spend that same amount of time and energy uh, producing in the market. If you had a form of money with zero terminal energy leakage, then you would increase your purchasing power by holding that money in line with the advancements of technology and global productivity rates. The implications of this are staggering. Now, here's where it gets interesting. There would no longer be a need for individuals to have to turn to property development or asset management as a, com as a complement to their regular job in order for them to build up an adequate nest egg for their retirement. People would be able to simply save their money. Think about that for a moment. In, a, in such a world, only the investment projects that were estimated to offer a real benefit to society and a real return on capital would be pursued. So the idea here is that because money is leaking out, especially fiat right now, we're looking mm -hmm. at in the month of September at the tune of 8.2% energy leakage. Because money is leaking energy, people are having to go find other areas and investments to store their wealth just to maintain their purchasing power, which – uh, as inflation persists and continues to increase, that means people have to go find more and more risky investments that have a high, potential higher return, which means capital is being allocated to uh, potentially less productive and, uh, and less stable investments. I think that this has got an interesting impact on society and how we think and how we interact with the world, right? Because money at the end of the day is how we communicate with each other economically in the world what's your thought on that kyle uh well i think you hit on it in that piece where it's about technology and i think that's um what you're going to see how quickly it develops and how quickly it changes uh impacting the value of money um right now we've found um we are spending more money on monthly items that we consider necessary than our grandparents. Mm. And it is a driver in why we can't um, afford afford um, a living on a base salary. And one of those things uh, that's interesting to me is that we're the first generation to where how we have lived does not resemble how our grandparents lived. That we don't have shared experiences between us and our grandparents. How they were raised 
how they uh, their struggles at a young age do not are not indicative of of uh, the current generation. Um, and I think you look at how uh, technology has progressed and how uh, economics has progressed with technology and see a clear difference, even in um, our generation and our parents' generation. Um, if you look 30, 40 years ago, um, you could still develop and retain um, value in your assets by uh, and live a comfortable life uh, by saving money and having money in a bank account. And you can't do that now um, because how, how quickly things change and how quickly the value of things change because of the development of technology. Um, what, what was a good investment in 2000, um, that same company may not be worth anything now because it just is not keeping up with the progression of technology and the progression of desires of the consumer. Hmm. And so you don't have these companies like Google. Google is not a very old company. Apple is not a very, like realistically not a very old company in the grand scheme of things. But the companies that are hundreds of years old are not really, are getting bought up by other companies and having to merge with other companies because they're not keeping up in the digital marketplace. Hmm. And so that, that time preference of money that you talk about really is driving this this factor uh, of people needing additional forms of income just to maintain their current buying power because how we've developed has created an incentive to spend money now because our developments and our investment in those developments from the government standpoint of creating money in the market to increase the valuation of those things and to streamline uh, research and development has really caused kind of a two-edged sword where it really progresses things to where we're living a life now where none of us are sitting in the same room, but we're all talking and we can film it and we can produce it for content for other people to, to digest and be informed. And it happens just like that in a blink of an eye, something happens and you know it, it wasn't that way back then. Yeah. But because of those advancements in technology and that that investment increasing the money supply has driven us to a point where our time preference on money and our, uh, like I said, fractional reserve banking is like we're making a uh, a um, margin uh, investment in something. And so now we have to it is accruing interest at this rate. So we have to accrue interest at this rate to make that money worth it, or we're going to lose, or we're going to lose money, or we're going to find ourselves in a position where we, where we end up mm-hmm. bankrupt. And I think our entire economy is built on that same principle, which puts us in this position of having a uh, increased time preference and having to be more risky with our, with our money, because yeah. we're making a bad investment in this, in this currency. Oh, Griff, you're, you're muted, muted. Griff. I was just saying what a great question because it's like <clears throat> money at the l- smallest level affects everything about society and money also at the biggest level of corporate the, the corporate level which I argue the corporations have been more important than governments for quite a bit of time now especially since the digital age like the digital age mm-hmm. has made it possible just look at the, what the trilateral commission wanted in the 70s 
and all the rich people wanted. They wanted the world to be like it is right now. I don't know if they wanted it to be quite unstable, but, you know, big money and corporations have wanted uh, a globalized society for a long time because is it about governments or is it about corporations? Is it what's it about? And like, what are the rules to the game of the world? And I'd argue that, you know, money is, a, is the only important thing that really matters. I mean, look at every war is really fought over who has control over what money is. Mm-hmm. And whoever really controls that, he who controls the present controls the past, who controls the past controls the future. Bitcoin, didn't we say that on the last podcast, like Orwellian's theory? Bitcoin has the potential to actually break that statement in and of itself. But yeah. that is as big as like that is why it is almost as innovative as anything else. It changes like how we keep history, how there's a record of things, because currently it's just told by the winners and the winners right yeah. now are going to be the central bankers. They're going to be the people with all of the money. Uh, if there is some mass global recession, pretty sure you're going to find out who the actual Rockefellers are and who like to see. You'll find out pretty quick. Like I'm like yeah. they're not gonna they're not gonna lose, guys. Like they have they're gonna yeah. have Bitcoin. They're gonna have they probably got Ethereum. They probably got freaking everything. Probably got every currency in the world. I mean, like people have figured out the game because this money game has been going on for thousands of years. I mean, like thousands. Even I mean, we think we have the history of money. We think we know a lot of things about history. So, and who's who's to know how old the game of money really really is? And like. Bitcoin does change that. So <clears throat> to Kyle's point, like as much as it affects corporations, um, Bitcoin really does change things on that big of a level too. Like it is something they have to factor in at this point. It's big, it's here, it's not going anywhere. And it's very interesting. I mean, yeah. I don't know why they wouldn't like it either. I don't know about you guys, but if I were like a billionaire, I'd be like, yeah, could be good. I don't know. Like, could be bad because it's because it's decentralized. They can't. They can't be. Um, isn't that what they want? Like, isn't that what they want? Is a world where no. government, like, governments are still like. Do you feel like governments are still in these guys's way? Like, I mean, uh, no, not at all. No. He kind of. It's no. a puppet game. I yeah. I, I that's a silly question to ask you. Who are the that's Who are the three largest? Who are the three economic advisors for uh, the White House? Um, President Obama, uh, President Biden, and and Kamala. Harris. I don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to go BlackRock. They're uh, executives like at BlackRock. Yeah, they're all three executives at BlackRock. That's crazy. It's just crazy that there's this big <laughs> private organization where it's just like, yeah, so like, what is this? And nah, that's nothing. Like, it's just BlackRock. It's just there, guys. No, I think you go back to we. You know, we talked about the auto industry previously. The last time I was on. Detroit and the auto industry, the um, trust busting, trust busting that they did with standard oil and gas and then went into into different things. The same thing is happening in the digital spectrum right now. There are players at the table, Google, Apple, Twitter, Facebook, Mm -hmm. Meta. These guys are trying to get at the table. The digital world. Be the ones. Well, no, they're they're doing the same thing that happened in the in Detroit in the 60s. Uh-huh. They are, or I guess it was earlier in that 30s, 40s, where there were the big three manufacturers, Chrysler, GM, Ford. Those three companies set were the ones that were worked with regulatory agencies and set the regulations. They set the uh, compliance mechanisms for their industry. 
so that they could drive out all of the lower competition because they could absorb the cost of adhering to these new policies. So they were manipulating the government into compliance, saying that it was a good regulation to have to drive out competition. Mm. And so the same thing is happening with in this digital space with YouTube, Facebook, uh, Meta, uh, Apple, like Google, all, all of these companies are trying to drive this regulation so that they have a monopoly. And once they have a monopoly on information and they have ties into the politicians, they, they're going to control it. It's an oligarch type of game where you see yeah. heads, of, heads of industry running, basically being the ones that run the departments that regulate them. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And that's why Bitcoin is also so important because it gives the potential for you to make money in a marketplace that competes mm -hmm. with Apple. And Correct. currently the only play way we've been able to create marketplaces really as humans is building civilizations and then building societies. Like that's the only way we've been able to do it. Bitcoin connects. I mean, dude, Bitcoin connects anybody. As long as you have right. an internet connection, it doesn't even matter where you are or what you do. You are participating in the marketplace. And that's what I've been telling people recently and I do feel this way, whether it's iOS or whether it's Twitter or whether it's uh, Facebook, it doesn't really matter to me. Any centralized platform that the Bitcoin world will compete with over the next 20 years, I think it'll win. I think that there will be a telecommunications company that goes, uh, iOS really isn't that complicated, guys. Right. What, why are we Why are we just subjecting ourselves to this? Like it will, it will happen because something like the inflation game plays out all of a sudden you can't even afford the $19 rent on your iPhone. You know, people are going to have problems and mm -hmm. Bitcoin is going to be the only marketplace that's allowing like Nick has brought up. That's allowing great innovation. I mean, even right now, these are the toughest times. I mean, think about the, if Bitcoin was a country, things would not be good in Bitcoin country really right now, except for the fact that the hash rates at an all time high developers are coming onto the network at an all time high. In regards to overall money supply, like it'd be like Amazon in 2000, you know, there's Bitcoin's kind of winding up. But uh, I just think it's interesting that we talk about all these big companies because Bitcoin does give the world a chance to at least compete with them now. They didn't we didn't have a chance before Bitcoin to compete with Apple because Apple controls the game of that whole game. Like they control the whole thing with Google, like they kind of fight like I guess it's two or three. But now with Bitcoin, since there's no like nobody making the rules of this game anymore and it's just money you know somebody could come along who i mean anybody really i mean someone come along change the game somebody in another country come along and change the game telling you well, i think how far off from him from el salvador nick me and you are hopping on down there like three weeks like things get a little hairy kyle you can come along with us i don't think a lot of us are that far away from moving to south america and all it would take is some better infrastructure uh some more money going down there Maybe maybe some smart dude comes up with some really good businesses down there or it makes us feel more comfortable to go down there because their network's safer. Who knows? But honestly, you're telling me people don't want to leave this thing at this point? I mean, like, I want to leave. I'm tired of being here, but it's whatever. Well, and I think that I think that drives drives the point home about the fact that um, the peer-to-peer -peer transactions, mm -hmm. the efficiency of Bitcoin and that type of a network is what scares um, the central planners. They don't like the idea that 
you can get around them, that you don't have to go to them. Um, it's the same thing about if you look at what the internet was, what YouTube was like, what Twitter was like, what Facebook was like, um, what these digital town squares were like um, in the mid 2000s, in 2010, 2011. Um, and then once you start getting into the 2015, 2016, 2017 on to current, they have found where they can't control the narrative. They can't control the flow of information. Yeah. So they have to change regulation. They have to change uh, the algorithm. They have to change who they're partnering with to try and control this flow of information to best benefit them. And I think the same is true about money. They don't like Bitcoin. They don't like cryptocurrencies that are decentralized because they cannot control who spends it. It's why they don't like cash. They can't control how it's spent. They can't control who has it. They can't control, for the most part, how you use it. And if they can't control those things, then you are not. You. Yeah, you can't. they can't control you and peg you into a piece in society that fits their narrative. Yeah. Wow. So. Kyle, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I always yeah. love hearing your perspective on these different topics. Um, you're always welcome on the show, as we've said before. Um, I'm, I know that uh, we went a little bit over time here, but uh, man, excited to have you on again at some point in the future. And I'm excited to, to listen to this episode back again. Yeah, and I always look forward to sharing what I can and good to see you guys. Beautiful. All right, man. Well, have a great rest of your Saturday, and uh, I'll see you on Monday morning. All right. Best of luck, guys. See you, Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. What a fun time, man. Yeah, he's just really, like, he's so knowledgeable. And it's so, it kind of sucks, you know, because guys like that, those are the ones that we should have, that should have big Twitter accounts. <laughs> and that, like, he pays attention, he listens, he has good thoughts. He doesn't get swayed by my, like, theatrics doesn't really seem to have but he doesn't you know what i'm saying like he doesn't really seem to have too much of a there's no way to get him off his brock he just sees it for what it is yeah. and those are the people that you should trust that's why i like having kyle on here because it reaffirms to me i'm like kyle, guys kyle is he a bitcoiner i don't know but he's smart as hell and bitcoiners like people who are smart and kyle likes bitcoin he just probably doesn't and, and smart people smart people eventually do come around and figure out what you know, the, the real true impact of what Bitcoin is. And Kyle is, he's, he's right on the trail. I mean, he's not, I don't know that Kyle's like 100% dedicated. Uh, he, I, it, as far as I know, he's not, but he, he's not, he's not far away from, from it making sense for him to be 100% dedicated. Well, because it's, he's like, when we're talking, uh, you know, he's talking about a world that they want. And then there's a world that Bitcoin is like trying to keep a hold of. And he wants to be a part of the world that Bitcoin's trying to keep a hold of. A lot of people do. And yeah. it's really interesting to talk to him just because it's like, there's so many freaking topics and they're not all Bitcoin topics, but that just goes to show you like how deep money is. But yeah, uh, yeah I really, really enjoyed uh, the interview. I always enjoy Kyle. Um, He's kind of like a resident guest that we just have on. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was great. I don't know about cool. you. I don't know if we have any closing thoughts for the interview aspect of this deal, um, but uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. 
Hey, thank you guys for listening. If you are not watching these uh, these episodes, you can watch on YouTube and on Spotify. So go check us out there. And uh, if you're listening, you know where you're listening at. Uh, but we would love to chat with you and talk. We also post all of our clips from our podcast on Twitter. Um, come check us out at, uh, at Nick and Griff Show on Twitter. That is at N-Y-C-A-N-D. G-R-I-F-F-S-H-O-W. Nick and Griff Show, all spelled out. Uh, if you also go to nickandgriffshow.com, that's spelled out the same way, that'll shoot you to our link tree. has all of our links to all of our platforms there. You can find everything there as well. Um, this has been another episode of the Nick and Griff Show, and we will see you next time. Peace. <laughs>